thank you. God, thank you for this church. God, thank you for just so many things that you're doing and that you will do here. Um, God, I just pray that you'd continue to like we just prayed. Fall like rain, Holy Spirit. Would you come? Would you empower us? Would you, would you move in our lives? Would you move among us as we gather corporately? And we just want to know you. We want to glorify you. And from that place, God, we want to make a difference for your kingdom. And so, Lord, help us to know how. Help us to learn from your word. Help our hearts to be open today as Pastor Ron teaches. Um, and Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. Uh, and we open our hearts to you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Everybody, God is good to us. Can you say amen to that? You know, someone told me a while back, uh, and I, it's always stayed with me, that uh, church is more about what happens between Sundays than on Sunday. And I think sometimes we put such an emphasis on Sunday and we check out the rest of the week. I know your week's busy and many of you work till late and you've got kids and all that kind of stuff, but we're trying our best to make sure that there are opportunities for you to find community, for you to be discipled, grow in all these areas of your life. That's why we'll spend sometimes 10 minutes just making sure that everybody is aware of what's available to them through um, Christian life and the ministry that's here. So, so man, get involved. Last week, uh, I was out when the Holy Spirit fell like rain. I was so excited uh, for you having that experience. Abby and Justin are here, my daughter and son-in-law. We were with them at their church in Chattanooga last week. And, um, and uh, we had a big family uh, gathering this week and did a wedding for Rebecca. Uh, Carrie's sister got married. Glory to God. <laughs> and, um, and so I've um, been quite, you know, focused on that, but I have been so waiting uh, to deliver this uh, teaching for you this morning. We started this series last week called Walking with the Giants. We're focusing on the life of David. And we've done this before where we have picked, you know, some great giants of the faith, people in the Bible, and we have just, uh, studied their lives and did our best to glean wisdom uh, from the scripture. And um, let me just give you a, a biblical context for this. And then I'm gonna give you a teaching that will be complimentary to what Landon talked about last week. You know, in Hebrews chapter 11, we, those of you that are old hands, you know, some of you are really new to the Bible. And every now and then I have to remember because I remember when I came to the Lord, I was so new to the Bible, I didn't even know that, when so, that there were, the Bible was divided in a New Testament and an Old Testament. I, I was so ignorant, I didn't even know there were 66 different books in the Bible. I had to learn these things. And so sometimes we take it for granted that some of you might be just starting your journey into the Bible. Um, but in Hebrews chapter 11, which is in the New Testament, there's a chapter that's known uh, as the faith chapter. It begins with the just, I mean, it begins that faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. It, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And then in that chapter, he lists people of faith. I call these our giants of faith. There's, a, there's this big, long list in Hebrews 11. Uh, Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, 
Joshua, Rahab. Rahab was the, a prostitute that had an experience with God. The author tells us of all these incredible things accomplished through their faith. You ought, to, you ought to read it sometime. If you keep looking at that chapter, verse 32, I'll read this to you. It says, and what more shall I say after he gives that big list? He said, I don't even have time to tell you about Gideon and Barak, um, Samson and Jephthah, about David and Samuel. We're going to talk about them too today about David and Samuel and the prophets. Verse 33, he says, who, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions and quenched the, fur, the, uh, fiery, uh, the fury of the flames and escaped the edge of the sword. I want you to look at the next phrase, everybody. It's really important. Whose weakness was turned to strength, whose weakness was turned to strength. This is the reason why we're studying the giants, because we want to see God operate in that way, that our weakness is possible for it to be turned to strength. And they became powerful in battle, and they routed foreign enemies. Wow, it's amazing how nearly all of these giants of our faith, if you just look at the list I just gave you, if you study their life, you go back, you will find that almost all of them were marked by some kind of severe weakness. It could have been a personal sin. It could have been some uh, tragedy that happened in their life that they had to overcome or some crippling fear. But they were all marked by some type of weakness. But God used them anyhow, because God specializes in turning weaknesses into strengths. And I'm just gonna say to everybody that's in this room, you qualify. In fact, you might be thinking that God's got me set on the side because I, I just am not worthy, or I'm not able, or I'm too weak, or I'm too young, or I'm too old. I don't know the Bible enough. No, you know, all these are just excuses because God wants to turn all of what you would consider weaknesses into a strength so he could use you. So we have all of these people that have gone before us. And look what chapter 12 says. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down especially the sin <coughs> that trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. I want everybody here to get in the race. I want you to just get involved in what God is doing and overcome all of the excuses and the setbacks. And it's with this in mind that we are, I'm talking about the cloud of witnesses, the, the giants of faith that had gone before us and left us some patterns. It's with this in mind that we're doing this study that we do periodically called Walking with the Giants. And last week, Landon kicked off this series by talking about the heart of David. He talked about how David had a love for the presence of God and that, and that David was a man after God's own heart. <coughs> so 
So last week he talked about David's heart. This week I want to talk to you about David's calling. David's heart. Last week, David's calling. To be honest with you, David's calling demonstrates to me the reality. Hear me, everybody. His calling represents to me the reality of God's unlikely choosing or his unlikely calling. There has been so many times I've stood up here on this stage in front of you, or I have led this congregation through events, and I thought, God, really? You chose me? I have said it on many times. I wouldn't have chose me. But this is God's unlikeliness. In your mind, you rationalize, and you're like, I just don't think I'm good enough. We always are looking at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Somebody say amen. Amen. And David's calling represents that. And Look at 1 Corinthians. Now, this is to you, okay? So we 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 can preach on stories, and we can talk through all the narratives in the Bible, but if this does not become part of you, If you don't apply it to your life, then it's just story time with Pastor Ron. We want more than that. Can you say amen? We want more than that. We want the Spirit to speak to us, (coughs) to train us and equip us. And so 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the Scripture says, Paul is writing, he says, So consider your calling, brothers, sisters, consider your calling. Not many of you were wise according to the worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. And if you look at verse 29, he tells us why. (coughs) So that no human might boast of themselves in the presence of God. Okay? So I want, I want, I want, this is why I want to look at David's calling. So that, oh, thank you. (coughs) Excuse me, everybody. It's that time of year. So this is why I want us to consider our own calling. Okay? You remember what Jesus said of his disciples? You didn't choose me, I chose you. And I appointed you that you would go and bear much fruit and that you, <coughs> your fruit would remain. All right, so I want to just really highlight this to you because I know that some of you have wondered, especially those of you that are new uh, to, to the faith, you've wondered, is God really in this thing? You know, I remember when I was just coming to the Lord, thank you, my dear, I remember when I was just coming to the Lord and I would sit in a worship service like we just had and my heart would begin to get stirred. And I just didn't understand what was going on. In fact, I remember before I knew the Lord that people would sing and they would worship with passion and when they did, I would sometimes I would be brought to tears and my dad taught me as a boy, you don't cry. And I'm like, so I'm sucking back tears, you know, and not wanting to respond that way so my dad doesn't get on to me. But something was happening. I can remember people teaching the word 
And something inside of me was like, whoa. It was coming alive. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? See, this is the calling of God that was stirring inside of your heart that God, because he loves you so much, was giving you a glimpse spiritually, your inner man, a glimpse of the goodness of God and the love of God. Some people, they quench it. That's why this, this, the scripture tells us don't quench the spirit. Some people quench it. They push it down and they never respond because they don't want to be one of those Jesus freaks. They don't want to be looked at by other people as being weird. And so they quench it and they miss God. I'm so thankful that we have a room here full of people who have not quenched the spirit and you have just gone after and said yes to the call of God in your life. Aren't you glad you did, everybody? So this is the beginning of God calling us to a life of faith. And it's really important for us to understand this. I think, um, I think you, you're probably sitting there wondering, well, what does this have to do with David? Well, let's talk about David. Because David understood that stirring inside of his heart. And he had a passion for the presence of God. We sang about it today. Don't us ever lose, Lord, that, that passion, that one, that one wonder of the, of the presence of God. But to help us understand the life of David a little bit better, and we're going to be here for about four more weeks, I, we have to do a little history. If, you're, if you are a Bible scholar and this is old news to you, then just relax and give me a few minutes and let me help people maybe that are new to the Bible to bring them along, okay? And so uh, the, the story of David actually begins in an Old Testament book, Second, uh, 1 Samuel. And in 1 Samuel, um, we just read about David and Samuel, right? So Samuel, the book of 1 Samuel begins with his birth and he becomes a judge of Israel. Now listen, everybody, there was a time when God led Israel through the prophets and there were particular people that were called the judges. These were prophetic people that were a mouthpiece for God. God would speak to those prophets. The prophets would uh, speak to the people and the people would obey. And it got dicey at times because sometimes they didn't want to obey the judges. And, but God would judge the nation, lead the nation through the judges. But then there was a period of time when the Israelites no longer wanted to be ruled by a judge, a random or a, um, you know, an unknown prophet that they wanted to be, well, they wanted to be ruled like all of the other nations by a king. And so there was this, there's this transition that took place and you see it clearly in 1 Samuel. Samuel was the last of the judges that was the mouthpiece for God. And when he grew older, the nation looked at his sons and they're like, there's nobody like you. We don't want any more judges. We want a king. Appoint us a king. That's what's happening in the book of 1 Samuel. Saul was the first king and David was the second king. 
And I'm gonna, let me say it this way to you. Saul, even though God anointed him, he was, he was the people's choice and David was God's choice. And so there's this amazing comparison between King Saul and King David. And I wanna talk to you about that today. We're talking about David's calling, but I think it'd be good for us to look at Saul's calling first, okay? God was not pleased that the Israelites desired a king. He, God, God wanted to rule through a theocracy. He was their king and he wanted to rule that way. And so look at 1 Samuel chapter eight. I'm gonna put it on the screen for you. If you've got your Bible or if you wanna look it up in your phone, feel free to look it up. 1 Samuel chapter eight, verse five. Um, this is the people speaking to Samuel. Look, they told him, you are now old and your sons are not like you. Give us a king. Give us a king to judge us like all of the other nations. Look at verse six. Samuel was displeased with their request and he went to the Lord for guidance. And look, God, look what God said. God said, do everything they say to you for they are rejecting me and not you. They don't want me to be their king any longer. If you keep reading through this, Samuel actually warned them that you're gonna get a king and he's gonna be a demanding dictator. He, he, he's gonna enrich himself off of the people's expense. He, he's, gonna, uh, he's gonna bring your children into military service and he's gonna, he's gonna draft your children into uh, domestic service and he's gonna inflict heavy taxes upon you. That's exactly what happened also. And God wasn't doing that when he was ruling them, but the king did. So God said, give them a king. And God gave them a king and his name was Saul. And when God directed Samuel to anoint Saul, there's a lot of really interesting things here because from his appearance, this man Saul, he looked like everything you would think a king would look like. He, he, was, he was tall, he was handsome. In fact, the Bible says there was no one like him in all of Israel. Remember, they wanted, they wanted a superhero. They wanted, um, they wanted a figure, a political figure that everybody would respect and would submit to. And God allowed Samuel, in fact, instructed Samuel to anoint Saul, and he was quite a man. Now listen, everybody. Uh, this guy was like no, none other, but he had a weakness. We just talked about it. Remember the heroes of faith, God saw their weaknesses, still called them, but he turned their weaknesses into strengths because they let him. Saul had a weakness and that weakness was this intense insecurity. Even though he had no reason to be insecure, he, it manifested in his fear of man. Are you, are you listening to me, everybody? This is really important for us to get because if we are going to do anything great for God and we're gonna answer the call of God, not just to salvation, but to the ministry life God's called us to, we're gonna have to recognize our weaknesses, yield them over to God, 
and allow the Lord to help turn them into strength. This, this, this is why God said of Saul, I still want you to anoint him. In fact, it's one, there's one verse that said, God gave Saul a new heart, but it was up to Saul to overcome the insecurity that was in his life, namely the fear of man. Eventually, I'm not teaching on Saul. I'm just showing you. So, hey, listen, everybody. Sometimes it's good to know what not to do as well as knowing what to do. Some of us actually learn better through the negative lessons in our lives. Amen? And some of us have to go through some stuff and get our own spankings, so to speak, and then we learn better. But how much more wisdom is it to learn those hard lessons from somebody else that's been through it and they tell you, do you don't have to live that way, right? And so Saul is speaking to us through the word and saying, don't live that way. Don't let yourself be ate up with insecurity and the fear of man because it will stop the blessings and the favor and the power of God in your life, all right? Let me show you, 1 Samuel chapter 10. It's time for Samuel. He's already chosen Saul, and it's now time for Samuel to present to the leaders of Israel their new king, the king that they wanted. Look what it says. So Saul's missing. I mean, he comes to the town. Samuel's in town, and they can't find Saul. And everybody's saying, where is he? Where is that big guy? And look what the scripture says. The Lord replied, he said, oh, he's hiding among the baggage. He's somewhere hiding because his fear of man, fear of the moment, he's shaking. Now look what the scripture says. So they found him and brought him out and he stood head and shoulders above everybody else. So he's the biggest man in the gathering, head and shoulders above everybody else who's been hiding behind the baggage because of his fear of man, his insecurity. Then Samuel said to all the people, this is the man the Lord has chosen as your first king. There's no one in Israel like him. And all the people shouted, long live the king. They got what they wanted. God gave them what they desired. A man that would be head and shoulders above everybody else. And he enjoyed really great success really for quite a long time until his insecurity began to uh, rise up again within him. And it's just like many of the political leaders today, Saul was plagued with the fear of man and, and they, he ended up just testing the wind politically and he would do whatever he thought would get him favor with the people rather than favor with God. This is the very thing that God was concerned about when, when he said, it's not my, this is not my best plan for you to be ruled by a king. Let me be your king. Somebody give me an amen. So God gave them what they wanted. And I want you to see that both of these, this is what I find interesting, that both the first king and the second king Saul and David, they both were riddled with weaknesses. It's not like David didn't have weaknesses. In fact, you could, if you really study this, you could probably argue that David, his weaknesses were even worse than Saul's. That David, 
he stumbled, he fell, he rebelled, he, he sinned. We're going to study that. But he also repented. He learned how to get up and he was not controlled by the fear of man. Everybody, I, I'm just trying to, my sermon is not really that complicated. The fear of man and your insecurity around other people, it will interfere with you becoming all that God wants you to be. You must overcome the fear of man and we have to learn that if we're going after the things of God. Saul's weaknesses remained a weakness and it destroyed his dynasty. David dealt with his weaknesses and God turned his weaknesses into a strength. Listen, Saul established a reign that was permitted only to last within his lifespan. Not only did his son Jonathan not reign as king after him, but Saul's entire next generation dies and the throne is taken away from Saul's descendants. It's very important. David, on the other hand, established a reign and not only, he not only inherited, uh, not only did his son inherit the throne, Solomon, but Solomon inherited from David an age that was marked with peace and opulent wealth, such that David had never seen before. But more importantly than the dynasty being passed down to David's sons was this, that David established a kingdom that would last forever. And ultimately through the lineage of David would come Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of God, who would sit on the throne of David, who would appear and teach in the city of David. Remember last week, David established a tabernacle. He was like a New Testament believer living under an Old Testament covenant. And God exalted David because of his heart, not because of all of his actions. God had to train him and rebuke him and reprove him. And he turned his weaknesses into strengths and God gave him a kingdom that didn't just affect his own life, but it affected his generations. Now, I'm talking about generational um, favor right now, everybody. I'm telling you, God wants to do something in your life and so that that favor gets passed on to your children and to your children's children and to your children's children's children. We want them to be stronger. We want them to go further. We want them to experience God in a much better and powerful way. Things we've never even seen. We want it to be passed down through our generations. We don't want our sin and our weakness and our unbelief and our doubt to be passed down. We want the blessing and favor of God to be passed down. And that is possible in the kingdom of God. In fact, there are familiar sins that get passed down and you have to take a stand against those things and you have to say, oh no, devil, we are not passing this down stream to our children and our children's children. In Jesus' name, we're breaking it off right now. And so I want you to see this um, very carefully. Now, before we talk about David's calling and his anointing, let me read some verses to you. I mean, we're studying walking with the giants. I want you to be a student of the word today, everybody. You know, you know, we, we, we could get up and preach some sermonettes 
to some Christianettes every now and then, you know, maybe share a scripture. But we're not, we're not teaching you motivational speeches. We're digging into the word of God. And we're teaching you the word and we're learning the word together so that we might be all that God's called us to be. Are you good with that? All right, so put on your word, uh, open your word and put on your student's hat. If you come to 1 Samuel chapter 15, this is the narrative of the story when Saul was rejected by God. And I just have to read some verses. I know it's a lot. Uh, But I just got to read some stuff to you and let the word come alive to you. Verse 2, Samuel is speaking to Saul, who is king. David is nowhere to be found yet. He shows up in chapter 16. And Samuel says, this is what the Lord of heaven's armies has declared. I'm reading it in a paraphrase, paraphrase version. It'll help us understand maybe a little bit better. He said, God has decided to settle the accounts with the nation of Amalek for opposing Israel when they came from Egypt. So God, Amalek, resisted God's people and were just brutal. And so God's judging the nation. And this is what God told Samuel to tell Saul. Now go and completely destroy the entire Amalek nation, Amalekite nation. I know this is brutal, everybody, but look, this is what God said. Men, women, children, babies, cattle, sheep, goats, camels, and donkeys. I'm done with them. They've been vicious. They have attacked God's chosen people. And in uh, the appropriate time frame, God says, I'm done. So God sends Saul with his armies to go and eradicate the nation, bring judgment upon the nation. And if you come down to verse eight, it's interesting because they went and they did attack the Amalekite nation, but it says that he, Saul, captured Agag, the Amalekite king, but completely destroyed everyone else. Saul and his men spared Agag's life and kept the best of the sheep, goats, the cattle, the fat calves, and the lambs. Everything, in fact, that appealed to them. They destroyed only what was worthless or poor quality. That's not what God instructed, correct, everybody? But they kept what appealed to them. They didn't want to waste it. Come down to verse 11. Then the Lord said to Samuel, I'm sorry that I ever made Saul king. For he has not been loyal to me and has refused to obey my command. Samuel was so deeply moved when he heard this that he cried out to the Lord all night. Can you imagine this? He's anointed this man king. God gave him a new heart. We know he's insecure, but something has gone critically wrong. And Samuel is weeping all night because now God said, I'm done with him as king. Verse 12, the next morning, Samuel went to find Saul. And someone told him that Saul had gone, that he went to the town of Carmel to set up a monument to himself. Do y'all remember his insecurity? It's manifesting right now. It manifested over and over because he built monuments to himself. All right, stay with me, everybody. 
When Samuel found Saul, he confronted him about the sheep, the goats, and the cattle. And Saul's excuse was, well, we plan to offer them as sacrifices to the Lord. We're going to put them on an altar, kill them, and we're going to offer them as sacrifices to the Lord. Then Samuel said, stop, just shut up, and listen to what God told me last night. And Saul's like, okay, what did God say? And Samuel said this. Although you may think little of yourself, are you not the leader of the tribes of Israel? Wow. And the Lord has anointed you king. Why haven't you obeyed the Lord? Why did you rush for the plunder and do what was evil in the Lord's sight? Wow. And Saul is insisting that Uh, He was only going to offer the sheep on the altars as sacrifices. But Samuel continues and he says in verse 22, What is more pleasing to the Lord, Saul, your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice and submission is better than the offering of the fat of rams. Rebellion is as as sinful as witchcraft and stubbornness is as bad as worshiping idols. So because you have rejected the Lord's command, the Lord has rejected you as king. Then Saul admitted, verse 24, yes, I have sinned. I disobeyed your instructions and the Lord's commands for I was afraid of the people and I did what they demanded. The weakness of his insecurity cost him his dynasty. I want you to just see this so clearly. If you keep reading the story, you'll find that Samuel executes King Agag. It was not a pretty scene, chops him into pieces. And he says this, as your sword has killed many of the sons of mothers, now your mother will be childless. Then Samuel never went to meet Saul again, but mourned him constantly. And the Lord was sorry he ever made Saul king of Israel. When we're talking about walking with the giants, we're talking about Saul and how he failed. And he never really accomplished what God had called him. He went on even from this time and he ruled many more years, about 15 more years he ruled. And, but an evil spirit came upon him and he was tormented in his, in his latter years of his reign. Now, there's so much to unpack here but I just got to unpack it. And then we're going to introduce David's king, uh, his reign. First thing I want you to see is the scripture never wastes words. And sometimes there are subtle things that are said that should not be so subtle to our spirit. Like for instance, when the word says, you thought so little of yourself that you are building yourself monuments Do you realize who you are? And for you to think that you have to build your name up big to find satisfaction and joy, why can't you just find your security in the fact that you were chosen by God to be the number one leader in the entire land? But you're still focused on how small you are instead of how big God is. 
But I'm just going to give you a, a clue here, everybody. This is the difference between Saul and David. Saul saw himself little, and he tried to make his name big. David saw himself little, and he tried to make Yahweh's name big. If there's a word for you today, it is stay humble before the God, God. Never try to build yourself up or build a name for yourself. Just lift up Jesus and lift up Jesus's people. Just lift up other people and you will find the satisfaction and joy for that calling and what that calling does for you. So I just want you to see this. In fact, I'm gonna put something on the board. I want you to see this, everybody. When we strive for recognition and self-promotion, we undervalue ourselves and the calling of God upon our lives. That's small thinking. Self-promotion, I'm just telling you, and recognition, it is small thinking. You were not put on this planet to be somebody. You were put on this planet to serve somebody. You weren't put on this planet so people would love you and accept you and adore you. You were put on this planet so that you could love someone and adore him, receive from him, exalt him, and lift his name high. That's what living is all about. That's your number one calling. I exist to bring glory and praise to God, so therefore, I too will love the presence of God. I too will go after God's heart and I'm gonna not even succumb to the need to build for myself a kingdom or a name or a monument. That's small thinking. Can you say amen? amen? And so I want you to see this also. When we live and operate in the sincerest level of humility, we are coming into the highest agreement with God's perspective of who we are and who we were called to be. When, when, when you live in pride and arrogance, you, it sets yourself in the opposition of who God wants you to be. It's humility in which God can use. The reason why God turns weaknesses into strength is because people humble themselves before God. And then, and then God knows that their strength is not gonna give them the big head. Their strength is just gonna enable him to use them powerfully. I am preaching better than you're saying amen. But I'm gonna keep preaching, okay, everybody? During Saul's biggest victories, we find him satiating himself on his royal privilege. He's building monuments to himself. In David's biggest moments, like bringing the ark back of God's presence back into the, the camp, we don't see David satiating himself with royal privilege, we see him stripping off his royal garments like Landon taught us last week. We, we, we see him divesting himself of his royal privilege and dancing before the Lord with all humility like a little child that's so thrilled that daddy has come home. And, and that's what we see of David. And is it, it's, it's quite ironic that when David was bringing the ark and he was dancing and stripped off all of his royal garments and he's dancing to the music and they're bringing the ark of the covenant, it is his wife, Michael, who is looking down from her home and she sees David and she's, well, she says this in chapter six. 
So when David went home to greet his family after the big dancing scene, Michael, who was the daughter of Saul, listen to me, she came out to meet him and she said, the king of Israel made a big name for himself today. This is sarcasm in case you hadn't caught it. He exposed himself like a fool in the sight of the servant women and all of the officials. And David said, I was dancing before the Lord who chose me above your father and all of his family. The family dynasty ended. Look, and he said, he appointed me as a leader of Israel, the people of the Lord. So I celebrate before the Lord. And yes, I am willing to look even more foolish than this even to be humiliated in my own eyes. But those girls that you say are dis- disgusted at me, um, they will see me as being distinguished. I just want you to see this, that that self-promoting, self-exalting spirit that was operating in Saul is still existing in his daughter. And it says of his daughter that she remained barren for the rest of her life. I just, I just want you to see this, everybody, because when we're talking about generational stuff, you don't want to pass this down. And here she is married to the king who has a heart after God's own heart, but she's still operating in the spirit of Saul instead of operating in the spirit that was on David. And so this is the reason why we learn that during this transition from Saul to David, that we cannot allow our insecurities, our fear of man, or the sinful weaknesses of our life to be passed down from our lives to the next generation. We must identify them and break the curse of those things, yield completely in humility to the Lord, and watch what God will do in our family. Amen? Turn to chapter 16. So, So God, through Samuel, says to Saul, I'm done with you. You disobeyed. You went chasing after the plunder. You obeyed the voice of men. You were striving for popularity more than you were for obedience. And so I've taken it from you. So he says to Samuel, I have found for myself a person, the next king. And he sends him to Jesse's house. So... um, Samuel sends word to Jesse, I'm coming. Get all of your sons out. We're gonna anoint one of them. So when when Samuel arrives at this man Jesse's house, who's got seven sons, looks like probably eight. It says, when he arrived, Samuel saw Eliab. This was the oldest of Samuel's, uh, Jesse's sons. And he said, surely the Lord's anointed stands before me today. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height because he was impressive, kind of like Saul, because I've rejected him. The Lord does not look on the things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. God had already seen David's heart. So you're thinking, well, when is, nobody even knows who I am. Nobody even cares about me. God knows what's on your heart, what your heart looks like. Jesse had seven sons pass before Samuel, and the Lord has chosen none of them. So he says to Jesse, are these all the sons that you have? And Jesse's like, well, there's one more. 
and he's back with it. He's tending the sheep. And Samuel says, well, go get him, man. We're not leaving until he gets here. We're not even sitting down. So go get him. And so he goes and he brings David, who had been out watching the sheep. He's probably about 15 years old is what we're thinking. And then the Lord says, this is the man. Rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil, anointed David. Notice it says, in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully on David and Samuel left and went to Ramah. Now, I want, I, I want to present something to you. I'm not saying that this is totally accurate, but I want to show you something that I think uh, many have questioned. And the question is, why was David not there with the other brothers? Why was he left outside of the house? If it was me and the prophet was coming to anoint one of my kids, I have all of them there. I didn't even get my grandkids. I have them all in the house. And we would be ready. But David's left out. Just to not belabor this point, I just want you to see that some scholars think that David may have not been a full-blooded brother of these others. In fact, Psalm 51.5, David says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Some people wonder if possibly he wasn't talking about the human race, he was talking about himself. In fact, if you look at Psalm 27, verse 8, he says, David, in this psalm, though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. There's some people that believe that we don't know this for sure. Perhaps David was the outcast. This is why he was treated disrespectfully by his brothers. And this is why he wasn't in the house, because he wasn't legit. And maybe, I don't know. Regardless, he was looked over by his father and I'm sure by his mother. But it is David who found his identity in the presence of the Lord. In fact, it could be this is the reason why he was so passionate to have this relationship with God who he loved so much. In Psalm 27, verse 4, this is David's heart. He says, look, one thing I ask from the Lord, and this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, that I might gaze on the beauty of the Lord and seek him in his holy temple. If you read through the Psalms and you see how passionate David is to make Yahweh his father, and how he loved the house of God, it kind of makes sense that he didn't have what he wanted in the house of his dad, Jesse. I'm just saying, I'm just saying that some of you have felt like you've been an orphan yourself and that maybe your parents weren't here for you and maybe they don't know the Lord. I just want to encourage you that God knows your heart, amen? And your identity is not in your last name. Your identity is in his name. Amen? And you are loved by God, and you need to find your identity. So it's an incredible story. Samuel anoints him with oil. It pours it all over him in front of his brothers, and his brothers are like, and his dad's thinking. And, and you know what happens the next 15 years 
Saul continues to reign. David actually becomes Saul's armor barrier for some of that time. He was called into Saul's court when the evil spirit would come upon him and he'd play his guitar and worship and that spirit would leave him. It's amazing. David, you know, David's killing giants. David's conquering, you know, winning in battles. And he's being trained by the Lord underneath an oppressive father. I often wonder, what was he looking for? I mean, I wonder, you know, when he grabbed the head of Goliath, we'll talk about this next week, and he brought it into Saul's tent and he dropped the head of Goliath down there, I often wondered, was he looking for a father to just give him approval? Instead, Saul's jealous over him. And next thing you know, Saul don't give him a blessing. He's throwing, he's chunking spears at David because he's jealous knowing that David's gonna go where Saul was not allowed to go. Oh gosh, everybody listen to me. If you're a mama or a daddy, you want your kids to go further than you have ever gone. You, you Don't be throwing spears at them. You just be applauding them. You just be championing them. You be encouraging them. Come on, everybody. I'm just telling you, this is the call of God upon our life. And so I'm closing with this. Everybody, 1 Corinthians 1, 26. Why don't you consider your calling? Not many of you were wise according to the worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were noble birth. Many of you are first-generation Christians. I was. I am. Nobody taught me the word of God. I didn't have a lineage in the Lord, but, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise, and God chose what is weak in your life and in my life to shame the strong. In other words, to demonstrate to the strong that it's a relationship with God that matters more than anything so that no man might boast in the presence of God. Would you stand to your feet, everybody? David is anointed. He's in training. He becomes the sweet psalmist, becomes the greatest king in all of Israel. And I just have to give you these three final thoughts, everybody. Number one. Saul and David both had areas of weakness that challenged their calling, yet God still called them. There might be somebody in here, the call of God is stirring your heart and you've never really surrendered. Maybe you think, well, if I get up, I gotta clean up my life a little bit. Hey, you you are never gonna be able to clean up your life a little bit. Not enough to be fully accepted. You might as well admit and recognize God calls weak people to himself. He's fine with that. Here's another thing I want you to see. Saul built monuments unto himself, but David built a life in the presence of God. What will you do? 
Everybody, what will you do? Saul valued the opinions and the admiration of others more than the approval of God. David didn't care about what people thought. He chose God above them all, over and over. Will you bow your heads with me, everybody? God's already made his decision about you. He's already chose you. He sees your strengths. Not impressed by them. He likes to zero on those areas of weaknesses so that he can cause them to be strengths so all glory and praise goes to God. I wonder if there's anybody in here that You relate to what I said before, and there was a stirring in your heart. The word being preached is coming alive in you, and while you were worshiping, you're like, what is that? That's the voice of God. He's calling to you. Consider your calling. If you're in here today, and you haven't responded to the fact that God has already chosen you, now's a good time to do it. I I just want to close the service by you saying yes to God. Maybe surrendering to the call of salvation. And we're going to teach you how to kill giants and overcome your weaknesses and, and how not to let the tragedy of sin stop you from reaching your full potential in Christ. We're going to talk about that in the next few weeks, but... There's an anointing that's waiting for you. You're welcome in the house. And God's saying, will you surrender to me? So if you're in here and you're like, Pastor Ron, would you pray for me to get right with God? Slip your hand up. I want to pray with you. All over the room, wherever you are. All right, there's, okay, thank you. I see a couple of hands. I see hands to my right in the middle section all the way in the back. Gosh, there's so many hands that are going up right now. I'm so glad that you are responding to the call of God. Can I I just help you, those that raise your hand? We're studying a giant in faith, David. And all he did was say yes to God over and over and over and over. He said, I, I want to be your son. I want to I seek your face. I want to be close to God. So with one simple prayer of repentance, you can remove all of the barriers out of your life, the sin that separates you. We're going to do it right now. Everybody, we're praying with the people that raise their hands. Even if you didn't raise your hand, but you wanted to, well, let me encourage you, get rid of the fear of man. But we'll work on that. Today, let's all pray this. Say, God, I need you more than anything else. I know I've got weaknesses. My sin causes me to stumble. 
It has separated me from you. But I believe you. I believe the word. I'm hearing the voice of God. You are calling me to yourself. And I'm saying yes. I come to you, God. Forgive me from all unrighteousness. All of my sin. I repent. I turn away from that life. And I turn to you. Jesus, would you forgive me and deliver me? Change me. Give me a new heart and help me overcome my weaknesses so I can bring glory to you. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Everybody, something powerful just happened right now. Something powerful happened. It did. Now, I know, I know, look, it's 1130. Um, McDonald's is not going to run out of hamburgers. And there'll always be plenty of uh, cheese dip at Camino Real, okay? But here's what I want to do. I know it's Super Bowl Sunday. You want to go home and finish, you know, getting your stuff together. But if you decided today, if you raised your hand and you prayed that prayer, I mean, you really meant business. Let us help you. There's a little card somewhere in a seat back in front of you that says, I have decided. Some of you may, you, you may, it may be the first time you've res- surrendered your life to Jesus. Some of you may have rededicated your life. Would you fill out this card and let me help some, somebody reach out to you and help you grow in Christ? This is the year, I believe, through Christian life that we're going to see dozens and dozens and perhaps even hundreds of people coming to Christ this year. We're pray- we've been praying for you. And so, hey, buddy. Now, what happens when a grandson breaks loose in the, in the room? Let me have it. Everybody, this is little Asa. Yeah, he was named after the last great king of Israel. This is little King Asa. Would you fill out this card, everybody? If you, and, and just drop it in that offering box in the back, or I'll have a team down here praying with you. You can come and hand it to them and minister to you. God bless you, everybody. Hey, if you want to have a Super Bowl Sunday, those of you that prayed, this is your Super Bowl today. This is your first day of full surrender to Jesus, and we give God glory. Amen. Hallelujah. Come on, everybody. We're walking with the giants. God has a plan for our life, a plan for our family. God bless you. If you need prayer, come down here. If not, we'll see you next week. God bless you.